0: Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of the probecast Today is a very special show. We're bringing on a guest, Tanya Krabasoyan, who's a fourth-year microbiology PhD student at University of California, Riverside, and she's going to tell us some amazing things about mushrooms. As you know, I am Tess, and today's interview will be conducted by my fellow co-host, John. So I hope you enjoy today's show.
1: Hey, this is Jonathan Mitchell again. Uh, coming to you with another interview.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Tanya Kirpasoyan. I am an incoming fourth year microbiology student at UC Riverside. And currently, I am with Dr. Jason Steich, and we look into fungal genomics, comparative genomics, population genomics.
1: And today, we're talking about fungal foraging. Mm-hmm. So, Tanya, could you give us a brief inter- uh, overview of fungal foraging and how it's done?
2: Absolutely. Um, So my experience actually in terms of like foraging began um, way back in uh, about 2012. So what foraging means is that you go out into nature and you go and collect mushrooms. So in terms of fungal foraging, I see it as both a community effort or it could be a small group effort. So by community, I mean, um, so each region within the U.S., some cities as well, and other countries too, that there are these communities or organizations that come together to discuss fungi, and then they go out and hunt for them. So it's best to go with the community first, especially if you're a novice and you're new to all this. Um, there you will meet people who are super into it, have done it for many, many years. They'll give you instructions on where to go, where to meet, and um, how you will be doing your collection. So usually there's some type of forest you end up going to. and um, My experience is I've gone to national forests in Southern California and Northern California. And so you can do this with your group. It's led by a lead mycologist who will take you to the designated areas. And usually they're designated because they have been there before. They have found mushrooms there and they know for sure every year, the same mushroom pops up in the same location. So that's why they tend to go in those directions, just so that they know a mushroom will be there at this time of year. So in terms of like what is important, you definitely need to bring a mushroom knife um, that has a brush at the very end. And that's important because uh, sometimes when you find these mushrooms, they have all this dirt and leaves on top. When you're collecting, you want to make sure that you're wiping off the leaves and the dirt and you have the clean specimen. And I also suggest having um, different collection uh, boxes and baskets and tools as well. Um, And so another vital thing to talk about is about the mushroom book that you're bringing to your foray or your foraging. So um, there are different locations, obviously, and whatever location you're a part of, there will be different fungi to find there. So you must find a book that is specific to your region. Seeing that I'm in Southern California, there are a couple of books that I can recommend. So I can show you right now. So this book was written recently. It came out in 2015, I believe. It's called <laughs> Mushrooms. It's a comprehensive identification guide. And so this is a really hefty book. You open up and there are, there's a key in there to follow along with. And each organism has been listed here, where their habitat is, if they're edible or not, and just general comments about where their locations are too. But seeing that this is super dense, super heavy, and you're walking around and you're probably looking for mushrooms, you don't want something so heavy. So um, I recommend something smaller to carry around with you. That way, if you are identifying on the fly, you can have this with you to do your identification. But usually like other places that I've gone to uh, or other forays I've gone to, what they have done is they've collected first, they have everyone collect first, they bring it to a location and then they go into identification.
1: What made you interested in uh, fungal foraging?
2: So as I mentioned, I actually got into this back in 2012. So the reason why 2012 is so significant, I ended up taking a undergrad mycology course at my Cal State Northridge. And um, so there it was, it was like a, it was a my, microbiology course where they introduced mycology, but then there was also a field portion to it. So we actually did a couple of forays with the professor And going out and finding these mushrooms, bringing it back to lab, we did some identification, but we also applied molecular biology techniques to them too, to help identify them that way. And so that's how I got really interested in it.
1: already covered this, but uh, would you say the most useful uh, resource was um, your uh, professor and or the, um, the guidebooks that you have?
2: Uh, For me, the most important resource has been finding the way I I actually loved it, which was the professor. He brought it into my life. I enjoyed everything I did. Um, I learned so much. Um, But then after, I kind of wanted more, right? Since the class is only so long, it's only 16 weeks uh, at a semester system. And so I was like, tell me more. How can I find out some more? And so another resource I recommend is these communal organizations. And so since we're in Southern California, there's two, there's the San Diego um, Mycological Society and there's the Los Angeles Mycological Society. So my first like venture into this area was actually through the Los Angeles Mycological Society, which funny enough, the professor who taught my class is now the president of that organization. Mm -hmm. And so there they have monthly meetings. There people bring their own mushrooms to the table and early before the meeting, they have a mushroom identification class. And so they go through how to identify mushrooms and uh, they use people's examples to sort of point out certain features and a way to identify them. And so that I recommend to be one of the bigger resources just because it's a community, there are people there. Um, Books are also fantastic, especially if you wanna do it more on your own. Um, And also, obviously there are Facebook groups for everything. And so there are Facebook groups for mushroom identification, especially in Southern California. And um, there's another thing called iNaturalist, which is just sort of more of a community science way where people can go out, identify things by posting it onto iNaturalist and people will be like, oh, this is this, or oh, this is that. And there will be some type of discussion based off of ID and features. So those I would recommend as other resources.
1: Uh, Do you still go out with uh, these members on occasion?
2: Yeah. So seeing as we're in Southern California, temperature is not as fantastic. And so it gets really dry at moments. And so there are some years that they may have had only one foray. And usually it's around um, the winter time when there's a lot more rain going on. But otherwise, um, when the situation is better, when it's more wet, um, we get to go out at least two to three times. And so I have gone. I haven't gone recently. Maybe the last time I've gone was um two years ago so
1: yeah Yeah. um so yeah southern california is really dry you said that winter is probably the best time and i know that uh this year kind of the rainy season was a little late so would you say that was probably like march was around the best time to go
2: with fungi there are seasons and Mm
1: -hmm.
2: each fungi has their own sort of season they follow so it's not that there is one specific one um It's just like that here in California, Southern California, but if you go other locations, so like Northern California, um, East Coast, Midwest, there are folks there that are mushrooming the whole year. There are seasons. And so there are, um, the specific seasons would include um, springtime is when you go out and find morels. Uh, The summertime is more when you find chanterelles. And then fall, winter is when you can find most of the other organisms. So really, you, you can find them all throughout the year. There are just uh, moments where you can find them more often just because of humidity. There's more rain coming in versus Southern California where it's dry all the time.
1: And some, some of these mushrooms, obviously, they require different temperatures and different humidity conditions and uh, you know moisture uh, for their prime condi- uh, seasons, right? So what's your favorite mushroom?
2: so uh, another thing that really brought me into the world of fungi um, or maybe it's more of like a little satellite thing that I'm interested in Um, I'm actually really into natural dyes so natural dyes uh, can come from many different sources like plant resources as well as fungi and so um, one of my favorite fungi are actually uh, it's a really cool dye as well so uh, the organism is called umpelotus Olivansis. So we have Olivansis here in the West Coast, but Olearis in the East Coast. And that one is considered to be the jack-o'-lantern. And so if you've heard of foxfire before, I know Benjamin Franklin has mentioned it in his memoirs or whatever. And so what it is, it's a um, bioluminescent fungi. And so not only is this organism bioluminescent, what that means is at nighttime, it glows this really interesting green color. It also is an interesting dye. And so when it comes to using it on fibers, it's only animal fibers you can use. And the colors vary from rich purples to forest greens, depending on the type of mordant that you use. A mordant being uh, something that binds to your fiber that allows it to retain the the dye better. And so uh, you get such beautiful colors from it. And so I'm always on the lookout For any umphalotus that i can collect and bring back and then to dye with
1: what clothes have you dyed like uh, do you dye uh, t-shirts often with it
2: so i mentioned it's only animal fibers t-shirts are generally made out of cotton so unfortunately they don't stick to cotton wool at all Mm -hmm. Um, what i have done is i've dyed wool so yarn specifically i have many different colors of yarns I also have um, silk that I have dyed with uh, the mushroom dyes as well. So those are uh, primarily the two that you can use um, mm-hmm. as well as alpaca or other animal fibers.
1: So do you um, eat any of the mushrooms you pick?
2: That is the number one question I always get uh, in terms of any type of fungal foray or uh, journey that I talk about. And so, uh, and that's really the main reason why a lot of people join the societies is because they see a mushroom, they're interested, can I eat it? And so, uh, (laughs) um, have I eaten any of my mushrooms yet? No, I have not. I have been foraying and going out for over eight years now. I still feel like I'm a novice. I still feel like I... Don't quite trust myself yet, but if there is a person who has been mushrooming for 10 plus years, 20 plus years, has gone to this patch before, has collected this mushroom from here before, has eaten it before, is standing in front of me alive and well, then yes, I'll eat it. But otherwise, whatever I'm finding and whatever I think is correct, I have not yet dived in and eaten it yet. So that's how I feel about mushrooms.
1: I know that... uh... There can be very subtle differences between edible and poisonous mushrooms, so you have to be really careful with that. Mm -hmm. I know you said you foraged in northern and southern California. Um, Which area is your favorite, and have you um, branched out to other parts of the U.S., or are there other parts you uh, really want to explore?
2: Yeah, so I've done Southern California. So Southern California locations specifically, I've done the Santa Monica Mountains. Um, that one was closer to my Cal State and my professor actually lives around there. So he's gone and mushroom hunt there before. And it's like, you think it's dry, but it's not cause it's like, I believe south facing. And so there was a lot more water coming in a lot more rain retained. And um, the trees there are fantastic. They totally canopy over and you have a ton of moisture that sits and stays so um we were able to find a ton of mushrooms there and the diversity was nice but it wasn't like the best um and then i've had also experience going to the midwest so this past this last year in 2019 um there is a organization called the mycological society of america and we had our annual conference in minneapolis minnesota and uh there was a uh it's not a ranch, but it was this location we went to. It was more of like a nature center, and uh, it was an offer for the um, Mycological Society of America students whoever applied for that meeting that they were able to add on a foray. And so I did that, of course, because I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going. And um, we went to this really awesome forest, and we found so many different types of mushrooms there before. Mushrooms that I've seen in books but I never actually got to see in person before and an example being coral type fungi. And so I was super excited about that and so happy I got to see that and experience that, especially uh, more Midwestern fungi. Um, but then in November, a couple months ago, um, my post, a postdoc in my lab and I, we went to what is considered to be one of the more famous forays, it's called the Mendocino foray. And it's way, way up in the Mendocino County. And it's held by UC Berkeley uh, mycology professors, uh, Dr. Tom Bruns and uh, Dr. John Taylor was there too. And those professors uh, every year for their mycology course, take up their students to this redwood forest area and they go and they collect. And so as the years have gone by and the students have graduated, disseminated, started their own, Uh, professions as professors and have their own mycology courses they've also brought in their classes and so they all coordinate to be there on one day (laughs) and so it's just a bunch of people all going around in the redwood forests just looking around hunting for mushrooms finding things and that one I would say was probably the most well-organized well-identified mushrooms um, that I've like ever seen and just the diversity and the variety that they had there was immense. I had never seen a lot of those species before, heard of them, seen them, but then it's like they're on your table. You can touch them. You can smell them. It's a total different experience in comparison to what I get in Southern California.
1: I wish more conferences were like that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm really, really happy. I'm in this field where we're, all just nerds out there walking around the forest, finding things. And we're like, let's study this. And, uh, it's, it's fine. It's normal.
1: <laughs> so I know you, you've, uh, touched upon this already, but what, what would be the best advice you would give to someone who might be interested in, in, uh, foraging?
2: Oh, okay. So advice. Um, I suggested in the beginning that uh, joining a community is important, and I highly, highly recommend this. Look around in your area, see if there's any type of local mycological society. They are the folks who are going to help you. There are just a variety of different uh, experience levels there, starting from beginner to more experienced to like expert. And these people join together, and it's not like you feel like you're an idiot when you're in there and like, oh, they're all talking about something. They're all pretty much all on the same level they're all like regular people like they are businessmen or I don't know a librarian but then they all come on one day and they just talk about something they genuinely love to talk about and that's mushrooms and so I highly recommend you take a step in there meet people talk to people go to their forays um, because not only are there meetings just like people bringing mushrooms and talking about it they also have some scientific component to it too. So, The one in Los Angeles, they actually bring a lot of speakers and these speakers can range from professors at a university to uh, regular folk who are just doing their own sort of guerrilla style collection and sequencing and they're like learning it on the fly Um, or just general folk who are like, I love to eat mushrooms. These are the mushrooms I love to eat and they talk about it. And so uh, it's, it's just a wide variety of just different conversations you can have there. So that I recommend, um, but I won't recommend you going out and hunting mushrooms by yourself. That is not a thing that you should ever do, especially if you're a novice, mainly because um, first of all, you're unfamiliar with the topology. You don't know where you're going, what is this forest like, you have no idea. But also um, when you're looking for mushrooms, you are face down. You are not looking around, you're not looking up, you're not seeing where you are. So when you're looking for mushrooms, it ends up being like 15 minutes later and you turn around and there's no road around you just because you got so entranced with what's going on on the floor. So always, always have some type of buddy system or at least be in a smaller group where there's people. Um, have some type of GPS that you can like get back if things get bad. And it's been fu- it's funny, but like uh, at that Mendocino foray, they always have like these warnings and there are warnings because it's happening. Been before where people have gotten lost. And so those students actually get like a little um, sort of, uh, what they call it baskets with like an emergency blanket, emergency whistle, and all these like extra food sources just in case if they do get lost because it's been happened before. It's happened before. So it's just uh, don't do it alone ever. Make sure that you're always with people because people always get lost. So that's what I recommend.
1: Oh, thank you. Um... One last question. Um, we've asked this before, um, where do you see the future of microbiology going? But since you're uh, working with a uh, fungus, I was wondering where do you see the future of mycology going?
2: Genuinely, like I actually came from a microbiology background. My uh, bachelor's and my master's were both in microbiology. And then I took the my mycology course and I was like, this is amazing. Um, I actually, I took the mycology course in my undergrad. Let me make that clear. And then master's, I was doing microbiology, but I was still like, this is amazing. I want to pursue it. Um, That's why when I was applying for PhD programs, I wanted to do mycology. I'm like, I I feel like I got enough of micro. Cool. Let's do fungi. So in terms of future, where do I see it going? I feel like whatever we're studying in terms of just microbiology itself, I feel like we're going to start slowly, if not, if it's already happening, just more, um, inclusivity for fungi as well, because if we're talking about a microbiome, it should also include a mycobiome because they're also there and uh, there are also micro fungi that are around and in that community. Um, and so as things are progressing, as sequencing gets better, as technology and it gets cheaper, I feel like we're going to be able to assess that better. Um, just understanding what are their dynamics? What are they doing together? What is feeding off of what? Seeing that fungi are primarily organisms that um, produce enzymes to break things down around them and then to soak it up. And so I believe we're gonna be able to understand more of what are they doing in relations to the microbiology, the, the bacteria in the area.
1: Yeah, I feel the fungi get an unfair backseat when it comes to uh, microbiology. I think it's partially due to, I don't know if this is 100% true, but bacteria are easier to sequence, and so people tend to go with the easier route than the harder route.
2: Yeah, and the fact that they're eukaryotes, right? Where bacteria exon introns, eukaryotes no. You, uh, I mean, bacteria, you know, you just got one, while the eukaryotes, you got both. You got to consider both when you're sequencing. So it's like, it's a it's a whole other um, playing field at that point because it's it's another level of trying to understand it, even though it's still small enough, you know. But the sequences are still massive, and so you have to take that into consideration. So of course, people, any type of bioinformatics work that I look into that like, oh, this code for whatever, it's always bacteria. It's never, it's never taken like a dive into eukaryotes or specifically fungi, just because it's like, oh, we haven't considered it because it's complicated. Like, okay, so we have to figure out how to make it work or yeah. So it's it's always a a bit more. But I feel like as time is going by, people are taking more notice of it. And the resources for fungi are leveling up, like we're getting better and better. So I feel like we're at like a pivotal moment where things are getting more advanced for mycology.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, Before we go, is there anything that you want to plug?
2: Yeah, so I wanted to quickly talk about the Uh, mushroom dyes. Uh, So I did not learn this all on my own not come into my head. I took workshops. And so I took my first workshop in 2015 and my second one in 2018. And um, it was led by a woman named Alyssa Allen. And so you can find out her information through mycopigments.com or .org. I'm not sure which one, but she has social media accounts as well, like Instagram that you can check out her pigments, just the different colors that she gets um she uh was with another person who actually wrote one of these other books let me plug in this book as well this one is the mushrooms of the redwood coast this one was written recently and so she was dating one of the authors noah siegel and she was able to go to all these places in the redwood forest and find these beautiful fungi and she herself was doing all these tests too so she was collecting them putting them in hot water, getting out the color, seeing if it holds or not, and then just writing about it. And so she's done a lot of these workshops now where she has the dried specimens of whatever she's collected. She brings it and she brings uh, some like silk or some yarn. And there you get to practice with her just to see like chemistry. How do you play around with the pH? What colors you get? What mordants get you different colors? And so... I highly highly recommend if you're genuinely interested in any type of dye work to look her up. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me and see what I'm up to, I do have a Twitter um, and so I worked with these black fungi, so these black yeast, black fungi. And so um, my Twitter handle is actually sort of an amalgam of that. Um, so my Instagram handle is Black Yeast Unleashed because I was trying to get things to rhyme, but I'm like, what rhymes with yeast? So that's my Instagram handle, while my Twitter handle is BYUnleashed, because I
0: couldn't get black yeast to work. You can find me there. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, thank you for spending the time today.
0: Well, Nation, that's the end of our show. So, John, did you learn something from Tanya? Sure did. What was your favorite fun fact? about fungi (laughs) see what I did there Uh, I really enjoyed the dye of mushroom dyes and that that goes all the way up to Ben Franklin
1: yeah I never expected dyes to be associated with fungi
0: yeah that's so cool wow there's always some new facts to learn with microbiology huh sure is so we hope you enjoy learning about Tanya's micro or myco moment and we hope that you keep listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share with a friend.
1: You can also find us at That's Microbigals.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S dot com.
0: So remember to, to feed, feed your, your gut. Feed your guts. makes you bye
1: Love you. Bye. <laughs>